On this episode of Office Hours, Sir Martin Sorrell, Monique Billings, John Rulin, Norma Kamali, and Sven Platt. The more you do, the more you can do. You started your company as a college kid. You were in a position where you weren't passionate about what you do. It's more about commitment than passion in the beginning. So much of it is mindset, meditation, and different things. Preaching, because morning routines are everything. She is an inspiration. She's awesome. David Meltzer hosts... Office Hours. I'm David Meltzer, and I'm here with my infamous co-hosts, especially Jason Waller, CEO of Powerhome Solar, and of course the host of my favorite podcast, world-renowned True Underdog Podcast. Welcome back, my friend. Of course, I have one of my great partners over there, Mike Mamola, speaker, author, entrepreneur, partner at Media Abundance, and of course, an incredible influencer of good and the legend on the end, David Marino, the sports agent, partner at Brown Rudnick, a speaker as well, and an all-around great guy. And we are here to welcome our first guest. Our first guest is Sir Martin Sorrell, founder and executive chairman of S4 Capital. Welcome to Office Hours, Martin. Hello, David. Hello from London. Your company, S4 Capital, is one of the largest, if not the largest, advertising and marketing services company uh, in the world. What are some of those secrets that you've learned here coming into the third time of scaling a business? Statistically, when you have a a person who has built two large companies successfully, the third one's almost, quote unquote, a sure thing. But what are some of those lessons and what people uh, are you carrying over to assure that success? Well, if it was a secret, David, um, if you started to talk about it, particularly on your show or anything else, it, it wouldn't be a secret any longer. So I, I won't go into the secrets. But look, no. You're like Ray Kroc, man. We'll never get the secret sauce. Yeah. <laughs> Our mission is to create a new advertising and marketing services model based around the digital economy and to disrupt the old. So there's a disruption and when we're sort of Teslan or Amazonians in some sense who use grand examples in our own way around our own industry the addressable market for us is about 1.8 trillion dollars about 500 billion in media about 500 billion marketing services and about 700 800 billion uh, in trade budgets which is what Amazon tends to 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 go after. So there are four principles behind S4. One is purely digital, because that's where the growth is. Digital is over 50% of the market currently, and it will be 70% by 2024 or five or six, depending on whose numbers you believe. Secondly, the the model is almost like an election model, you know, that is used in elections. We we use data to create content, digital content, and we pump it out through digital media. And then we recalibrate the creative content on the basis of the response. So it's no longer the fixed TV film model. This is a model which is iterative in a 24-7, always-on world. It's a sort of circular model that continues to to improve. So that's the second point. We go to the market as faster, better, cheaper. So faster is about agility because we think that's the key corporate attribute. And the fourth basic principle is a unitary structure. The unitary structure results in, in you know, our company has got a, S4 has a market cap now of over $5 billion after three years. And well over half the company is owned by people 
who live and work in the company. And I think that's extremely important. So those are the basic principles. Mission, to create new model, disrupt the old, purely digital, holy trinity model of data driving content through digital media, faster, better, cheaper, and unitary structure. We're going to have an academic challenge here because, you know, I know you were educated at Harvard and Cambridge. Uh, Jason was educated go. on eight mile. <laughs> Everybody in the three was one nine three. mile. Three <laughs> one three. Hey, Sir Martin, appreciate your time. On on S four Capital, I know digital. I might not have gone to the school of Harvard or or all of the Ivy Leagues that David missed out on that he still <laughs> thinks about. Me. Okay, <laughs> but I understand digital marketing. We spend you know ten twelve million dollars a month at my business, and what I'm seeing as a business owner is things age out. You know, TikTok two three years ago was hard for a business to advertise on, but it's it's great now. You know. Uh, Snapchat a couple years ago was hard for a business for us to advertise on, but now it's great. Facebook starting to age up even older, which is good for us. Where do you see this business going in the next two to three years to migrate some of these apps together and to migrate some of the OTT, you know, the cable cutters of the Hulus and the Amazons and putting them together for advertising? Where do you see that going? The heart of the business, whether you like it or not, is dominated by three Western and three Eastern platforms, and in my view, will continue to be so. It may be that the regulators will stop them from acquiring. You know, the Amazon MGM deal, small deal for Amazon in the context of uh, their operations. But, you know, they poke the regulatory bear there a little bit by doing that. We'll see what happens, whether that goes through or not. A lot of scrutiny of it. There are a lot of lawsuits, uh, a lot of regulatory pressures being being levied against the big platforms. But my view, you're not going to see the dominance of those platforms under undercut to a significant degree. Maybe they won't acquire, but they will continue to grow. Very interestingly, Google and Apple this year, I think are going to buy back about $150 billion of, of uh, buybacks. And one of the reasons I think of that is obviously they've got surplus cash in their balance, on their balance sheet, surplus liquidity. But it's also because I think that they will be stymied. I agree with, every, with everything that you said. Um, and I think we see it in, in the animal kingdom, right? The species, the, the best indicator of likelihood to survive ultimately over time isn't strength or speed. It's adaptation. And we see that in business. And it's clear that you've identified that. You gave us a really good understanding of how that happens. If you could give us kind of just a, a, a peel back the kimono of how do you do that? That's substantively, you told us. But procedurally, is this you as chairman of S4? Are you identifying this? Do you have a team? And how do you identify these things that allow you to adapt? Yeah, we have a very good team. Um, you know, we have eight people. We meet every day, actually. It was largely driven by COVID, I think, uh, originally in April of last year we started. But we meet pretty much every day, not necessarily every day when, when we have things going on inside the business. I'll give you a good example of what we, what we do. So I remember about 15 months ago, we were on that call that I mentioned on a particular day. And one of, uh, Wes Taha is one of the founders of Media Months, which is our content practice, said that we were starting to develop a technology, the epic technology, the uh, Unreal Engine, as it's known, the Fortnite game, is based on a piece of technology called the Unreal Engine. And one of the things you can do with the Unreal Engine is basically you can film and create and develop content from anywhere in the world using the Unreal Engine. So we, we built in the last year or so 
a studio in New Delhi. We are creating uh, high-resolution digital advertising content and content from anywhere in the world in that studio. So we can film literally anywhere in the world and produce high-quality content. So we're using technology in advanced ways. But, you know, what you just said is really interesting in the, just make the point about COVID. The leading vaccine companies were probably GSK and Sanofi. And what is really interesting about what happened with vaccine developments was who who actually developed the vaccines most rapidly. It was the people who didn't have, a, or apparently didn't have a vaccine capacity, uh, capability, a Pfizer, and AstraZeneca. And it was quite remarkable. What does that tell you? It sort of tells you that, you know, the established companies the, uh, are the ones that probably are not as adaptive or adaptable as they should be. And it'll be interesting to see, I mean, going back to Google, Facebook, and Amazon in particular, I think their strengths are, they do, despite the scale of their organization, they're all over a trillion dollars, some over two trillion at some stages, um, which is as big as some nation states. Yeah, it would be interesting to see how adaptable they are uh, in the long run, because that vaccine lesson is a really interesting one, that the, the people that you would have bet on to produce quickly and efficiently a vaccine were not the ones that did it. It was, in the end, Pfizer and AstraZeneca that probably, there were others like Moderna that came up we're using the mRNA technology. But it's just interesting that they did it and not the established. I am sitting here bewildered how you have such a grasp on what I simplify as capturing content, modifying it correctly, amplifying it, uh, which is your monetization expertise, uh, and then finally understanding the perpetual nature, utilizing uh, the test and execute approach that you do with an enormous amount of content and being able to analyze that content to see how you can maximize its exposure through the capture, modify, amplify, and perpetuate strategy. S4 Capital, an incredible entrepreneur, proven by historical success, an intellect, an academic, and an entrepreneur, a rare find, Sir Martin Sorrell. Thank you so much for joining us on Office Hours. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure. God bless. This is, you know, every once in a while you get a show and you're like, I wish it was, uh, you know, a series. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if we had two hours, I could talk to him. I could listen I, to him all day. Likewise. I mean, I love digital, yeah. you know, marketing. Always I love running. what he's built. I mean, it's exciting. Yeah, I want to hire him, to be honest. But uh, I'm right. going to try to hire him. I don't know if I can afford him. <laughs> Dave, I know you didn't get to ask yeah, a question. Absolutely. I know what your thoughts were. I mean, obviously for him, given his experience in both advertising and PR, he's taking all of what he's learned. And like Mike said, he adapted over, over decades. He's got an encyclopedic brain. He can list off every single competitor, every single company, every purchase, every founder uh, at the drop of a hat. And that tells me how long he spent at his craft and building. And I've always found the mastery of PR interesting, right? Because advertising is telling someone you're good. PR is getting someone else to say you're good. And as trial attorneys, we are tasked with convincing someone of a position. That's easy relative yeah. to getting someone to then buy into that position and tell someone else. So, I mean, obviously he spent the time, he put the work in, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to continue to grow and change. More importantly, change as things change. Well, I'll tell you this, I wish we had 
a head football coach next because head football coaches are trained to have the shortest answers. <laughs> and uh, you asked Sir Martin Sorrell the yeah. time, and he's going to give you the history of the clock because he knows it and yeah. he wants to share it and help so many individuals. Love it. Uh, By the way, I just realized I have three attorneys next to me and I have stripes on. Is there a problem? <laughs> Happy Halloween. Tell us the last time you had that happen to you. I am so excited about our next guest here on Office Hours. I'm excited to hear from our next guest, Monique Billings, WNBA athlete and sports analyst. Welcome to Office Hours, Monique. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I am so excited because I think a lot of people dream about playing sports, but they also dream about being a sports executive or in the sports business. And you do both so well. A lot of times people don't have the understanding of how they can lean into what I call the legs feed the lion. And when I look at your career, you really have the prioritization of what to do to enable yourself to have the options and opportunities off the court by doing so well on the court. How did you develop the discipline to be the best that you can on the court to allow yourself to have the time and opportunities off the court? For me, it's always been about balance. You know, I am a multidimensional athlete. I like so many different things. I have so many different passions. And so I'm like, okay, how can I funnel all of my different interests kind of into one thing? And basketball has always been my main thing. And I actually recently saw an interview. Um, I think it was LaMelo Ball. He was saying that LeBron told him to keep the main thing the main thing. And I feel like that's kind of always been my mind set like basketball I realized that basketball is the platform that's going to be able to take me to all the other places and avenues that I want to be able to go and places that um, I want to go and people I want to be able to reach so just realizing that and having that in my mindset and also just having a love for basketball like I feel like you really have to enjoy what you do and have a passion for what you do for what you're pursuing and it also has to be a part of your purpose I do feel like I'm purpose-led in that. So thankfully, God has been so good in my life, and it's all worked out just through balance. Monique, it, it's such a pleasure to speak to you, and, and basketball has been an amazing accelerator and driving force and motivation in my life. And I didn't go pro in basketball, but I went pro in a lot of other things, like the NCAA slogan, which... <laughs> I love that commercial. <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 it's true. Keep the main thing the main thing. And I've really... I want to talk about your courage, right? As WNBA players, I was so enamored by the way you all banded together uh, to talk about social justice and amplify the voices of so many, while having so little security relative to so many other athletes. I want to ask a twofold question. Talk to me about the courage and, and why uh, you all thought it was important as a group to highlight things like social injustice. And uh, secondarily to that point, why people like Paige have been allies and how important that is in these, these movements. And, and lastly, what can we all do to shine a light on the WNBA to, to make it so that the main thing is the WNBA and that you guys are getting what you deserve here in the country? It's amazing just to reflect on the fact that I was in the WNBA bubble like one year ago today. Like wow. I was wow. in there and it was very real, just not being able to leave my hotel. Um, I, I was in my hotel room and I can look outside of the window and see the street. Like I could see across the street, but I couldn't even go over there because it was just um, not within the parameters of where we were supposed to stay in. I feel like as a league, we just, we realize the power that our voices have 
and how magnified that is when we stand together, when we stand for what we believe in. There's so many different ways that that looks like. For me, I realized throughout the course of this last year, I want to use my voice, but I had to figure out how I could best use my voice, how I could best serve. And for me, that's not necessarily being on the front lines, but maybe that's more so in the wellness space, helping people figure themselves out just on a more one-on-one -on -one type of level. And I figured that out within myself. You know, some people are on the front lines using their voice with megaphones and it's loud and that's awesome. But there's also people who are doing loud work, maybe in quieter spaces. And I realized that that was probably more so me. And speaking to our allies, I'm grateful for people like Paige. That was, that took courage. You talk sure, about courage. Yeah. That took some courage for such a young lady to go up on that stage and just address the way that she felt and honoring black women. Um, I thought that was beautiful and just really well said. So much respect to her for that. People all over the world supporting the WNBA, supporting women's basketball. That's how we move the needle. That's how we continue to make steps and strides into um, making the sport all that it can be. With looking at all of your success as an athlete and everything else that you do, um, I know that so much of it is mindset, meditation, and different things. And, and all of the most success, the successful people that I know, that I work with, that we're surrounded by, they have morning routines, they meditate, they do certain things a certain way to ensure their day and their week and their lives go a certain way. How important is that to you in everything that you're doing to achieve the levels of success that you'd like? Preaching, because okay. morning routines are everything. My morning routine, um, it's just how I get my day going. And if I don't have my morning routine, like I'll feel it throughout the whole day and I'll kind of realize, like, dang, I didn't spend time in stillness. I didn't pray this morning. And for me, I realized that my morning routine looks so different. It's not just the same every single day. It's kind of like with eating food. I'm not going to eat the same exact thing every single day. But as long as I'm feel feeling fueled, that's the most important thing. So sometimes my morning routine, it might be 15 minutes. Sometimes it's an hour and a half. Just whatever I need in that day, just to get my day started. I love listening to affirmations, reading my Bible, praying, um, positive sound bites, just things of that sort to get myself going because life is hard. As we all know, you know, life is hard and um, there are tough moments, but I feel like for me, I've learned that taking time to reflect, um, taking time to just be still and really just find perspective. Life is good. It might be hard, but life is so good. And so finding that gratitude and rooting myself in that gratitude each and every day, it's a practice. Just like I go practice basketball, practice my free throws, all of that. My morning routine is a practice. Changes, it flows, but um, yeah, I just try to make sure I'm mindful to do it every single day. Monique, I'm a big fan and I'm, I'm so proud of how you excited you are about life and how you're talking about your morning routine and how you bring in a top caliber talent to the game. I have three daughters. I'm not very good at basketball. One of my daughters is pretty good. They usually play softball. But what would you say to three young ladies out there that are always questioned to me, how come we only have one female professional sport in WNBA right now. When are they going to have other opportunities like softball or, you know, other things out there for women? What would you say to those girls to grind down and, and kind of focus and, and look towards the future? And where do you see that going? Well, first of all, shout out to you, girl dad. That's girl right. Dad's thank Brock. you. Thank you. My advice to young women would just be to not limit yourself. I feel like when I was young, 
I limited my thoughts, my dreams. I never knew I could be a professional athlete. I never knew I could have my college tuition paid for. I just didn't know it was possible. No one was really telling me like, hey, yeah, you could do that. And we didn't have social media when I was coming up. So I just, I didn't see it. But I feel like with social media, young ladies are able to see women in professional sports and women who they can look up to and say, hey, I could do that. And they could be better at it. It's like, not only can you do it, but you can master it. You could be so much better than us. And so I always give a shout out to the women who came before me and who have trailblazed just this path that I'm allowed to be on. One of my favorite quotes is Maya Angelou. Um, I come as one, but stand with 10,000. And that is just so true because I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for women who paved the way for me. And so I just hope that I can continue to pave the way for young ladies and just to inspire them to keep dreaming, keep believing, and don't just don't put limits on themselves. As far as building more sports and leagues for women, um, I think it just comes with using our voice. I see so much greatness within the younger generations. So many young ladies are dunking. It was a rarity back in the day, but now it's just kind of like a normal thing. And I know it's going to take time and patience, but as long as we're trending in the right direction, I'm hopeful that um, young ladies will have something to aspire to and just cont- continue to become great. I'm just so thrilled, but also bewildered how many young people like yourself are so much more enlightened? Uh, you know, and it's not a matter of challenges. You know, I look at my own journey and say, well, you know, you became enlightened because you lost everything. Well, no, I actually went on my quantum shift two years before I lost everything and started reading the right things. And I think it's more finding faith. Um, I find it remarkable how many young people do understand having quiet time. Like you would have had to break my arm to make me sit still and, and meditate, which is something mm. I do every day now. But it's really amazing how important it is to so many young people and how enlightened they are. What were the catalysts or what can we do to continue that surge of enlightenment of people understanding and practicing being quiet and truly, uh, I think, clearing the interference between that great source of power, light and lessons that is obviously coming through you for others now. Um, what was it that you know put you on this path? And what can we encourage other kids to do uh, to get onto that path? I've never really just sat down and thought about what's put me on this path, but I think it comes down to wanting to feel like the best version of myself. And so taking the time to figure out who Monique is outside of being a basketball player, outside of being an analyst, who is Monique? And if everything was taken away from me today, what do I stand on? What are my morals, my values, you know? Who who's in my circle? Who can I rely on? So taking the time and just being intentional with that time, I encourage young people to take that time, take the time to be still, to get off your phone, like put your phone away for a little bit and stretch, do yoga, you know, pray, just take some time and see what you're thinking. An incredible superstar, Monique Billings. Thank you so much for joining all of us here. Thank on you. Hours. Thanks, Thank Monique. You. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you for creating this space, Thank too. This is incredible. So thank you, guys. Wow, my heart's full. Yeah, my, mine is well, as well. I mean, basketball is what she does, but Monique is who she is. And just the consistent, persistent, right, and also intentional action she takes every day translates to her daily routine. She's going to have, we're going to see her as a sports analyst for 30 years after she retires, and she's probably going to inspire another 10,000 young women and men behind her. So uh, she's been tremendous. 
I agree. I, I am a huge fan of everything that she just said. I can't wait to, to learn more about what she's doing with mindfulness and meditation and everything. You know, life is, life is challenging. We all know that. We're all caught in the tornado. And it's so refreshing to be able to step into the eye of the hurricane, or if you're in the hurricane, in the eye of this tranquil place, like she said, even if it's just for a few minutes a day, Dave, like meditating or praying or just stepping back so that you can become the next better version of yourself. Everybody is operating on that self level, but we can tap into that higher self. Yeah, she was a delight to talk to. She's so positive, so enlightening, and I loved it. Uh, hopefully my daughters get, you know, when they see this episode, they kind of get inspired a little bit more, too, because they're not going to listen to Dad all the time. I do want to point out two things, right? M make your main thing your main thing. Yeah. Coming from the same guy that was born in the same hospital as me. Uh, you know, Herb Brooks is my favorite uh, with the mir Miracle on Ice, you know, the legs feed the lion or whatever he said. People lose focus. They try to put their impetus outside of what makes it happen. Make the main thing your main thing. Our next guest is John Rulin, author of Giftology, speaker and founder of Rulin Group. John, you and I subscribe to Giftology, which to me is understanding two things, perceived value and real value and utilizing one of the greatest expressions of happiness, giving, in order to effectuate a margin that can be created, a monetary margin between perceived value and real value. How did you learn these lessons? And I know you speak about it in Giftology, but how did you derive this great margin that exists between perceived value and real value? Yeah, well, I grew up poor and I saw people being generous and I saw the way relationships flocked to one of my original mentors who was this law firm owner and people loved him and all the deals and referrals and everything came his way because he was always showing up for people powerfully with gifts and generosity with no strings attached. And so I was 20 years old. I was a country bumpkin off the, off the farm milking goats and I was like, I want to be Paul when I'm 60. I'm 20. I got 40 years to get there. So I just started modeling what he was doing and um, you know, a, a lot of good things started to come our way. John, the power of giving with no expectation of receiving is amazing. That's one concept I learned from my good friend, uh, Dave Meltzer here. But what I really wanna know is, like so many successful entrepreneurs, you started your company as a college kid. What would you go yeah. back and tell yourself now that you've reached these levels of success, and a lot of it is based probably on giving and, and, and giving with no expectation of receiving, but what would you tell your you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old self? Well, I, I was fortunate to intern with Cutco, the knife company that has college interns, and I think it's one of the best personal development and training programs on the planet. And so I was fortunate to be around people. What I would say is, I, early on, I tried to convert everybody into being the way I was, and I treated everybody the same. I, if I, I was a giver, I was trying to convert the takers and matchers into being givers. And it wasn't until I read the book, Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, that I realized most people aren't givers. And so if I could go back to my 20s, I would have honed in on the people and went super deep. I went wide. I was sending love bombs and knives and stuff to, to hundreds and thousands of people. And what I do now oftentimes is narrow my list down from 10,000 down to my top 100 relationships of people that are already in my network and I double and triple and quadruple down on generosity versus trying to go and convert the masses. John, so building your business up, you know, following your mentor, you said the, the guy from the law firm, what struggles have you had and do you have a mentor now and do you mentor other people? 
Yeah, so I I, uh, I do still have mentors. I've, I'm actually part of a, a number of groups where I seek out people that are doing bigger things than I am. So Dave and I are in the hundred million dollar mastermind. Uh, I've been an EO for 14 years. I re- I try to surround myself. If I'm at seven figures, I'm surrounding myself with eight and nine figure guys. When I'm eight figures, I'm surrounding myself with nine and ten figure guys. So uh, I think it's super important to always be the dumbest guy in the room and the poorest guy in the room. And so I do, uh, I do try to surround myself with really, really successful people, even to this day. And I do take the time to give back. I go back to Cutco. You know, they've worked with 2 million college kids over 70 years. I go back every other year to keynote messages there. And then I typically pick a couple guys to bet on and say, I see the diamond in the rough in you. And I'm going to, you know, not paid, but I'm just going to take extra time with you. There's a guy in Dallas who's a young guy, just got married, um, who is uh, selling payroll services with Paycom. And so I doubled down with him. His name's Ben. And so I'm a big believer in like, you can't just, you can't have people have poured into you and not take the opportunity when your cup is full to then pour back into uh, to other people. So it's, um, I'm a big believer in that. John, to give it back, I agree. And, and I, it's, I, it's interesting that you said that because my first entrepreneurial endeavor was I opened a law firm and we did that. We gifted the entire community. It really as a thank you. My question is, it, and we're talking about gifting and it's a very personal thing. And we can do this on a one-on-one level. I know that Jason loves great suits and great shoes, so I could give him that. That's easy. That's the human element. When you do it on the level that you're doing it with giftology or writing books about it, how do you do that? How do you incorporate it to an automated level when you have thousands or tens of thousands of people around the world that you're gifting? Yeah, so what I would say is there's a, there's the one-offs. We call them the crazy love bomb one-offs where we might be doing like a, you know, for one guy, I wanted Cameron Harold. I want to impress him. I did $7,000 of Brooks Brothers and outfit his hotel room as a surprise. You can't scale that. Most people only take care of the employee, the client, the referral partner, the investor, the mentor. And oftentimes they forget that there's an inner circle around those people. Usually it's a spouse, significant other, assistant, pets, kids. When I'm doing giftology, when somebody hires our agency to do all the gifting for them, we'll map out for a thousand people, about 800 of them are probably married. And so when we do like, to this day, we still do millions of dollars in the knives and people laugh. They're like, really the knives? Like I thought was the college student thing. And I'm like, well, most people have a kitchen. Where do they spend most of their time when they're entertaining their family and friends? They break bread with wine and food and celebrate. And so literally, like we've had clients gift billionaires these silly knives. Now they're engraved a certain way so that they're more of an artifact. But we try to tap into things that are common amongst humanity. We all want to be seen and recognized. Most of us have inner circles. Most of us have only received swag and trinkets. Like that's not a gift. If you put your logo on on something, it becomes a promotional item. It becomes a manipulation where you're trying to turn that other person into a billboard for you. So when when people say we're doing giftology, what they really mean is we're doing giftology-ish. They're they're breaking parts of the formula and then they're realizing like people aren't responding very well to my logo, you know, polo shirt. And I'm like, no crap. They don't want to wear your logo. They want to wear their own. It's so funny because I'm looking at rethinking education and all the wasteful courses that exist within you know, colleges and graduate schools. And oh. I think the greatest science class they should be taking is from John Rulin with Giftology. Uh, much more useful than trigonometry, I'll tell you that. And it has made, <laughs> it has made me an eight and nine figure man uh, by understanding the science of gifting. Thank you so much for sharing happiness and helping me achieve my goal of empowering over a billion people to be happy through giftology. You are a blessing. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, Thank you, John. Hey, thanks, thanks, gents.
we talk about it, most people want the same thing in life, no matter where you go. They want to be happy. Dave, you're a master at conveying this to, to, to the world. And so the easiest way to make people happy or to make yourself happy is to make others happy. It can start with a smile and go to the gifts and go on and on like John's doing. And it's that simple. It's a transfer of energy, like you said, that's contagious, that everybody benefits from. So it's amazing stuff he's doing. You've heard some amazing guests this episode. Now let's hear the takeaway of the day from Jason Waller, host of the True Underdog Podcast. I'm Jason Waller with your takeaway of the day. For many business leaders, having consistent routine is what helps them deliver consistent results. And when you prioritize the right things when setting your schedule, everything else will fall into place. Next up, we've got Norma Kamali, entrepreneur, fashion designer, and author. I am here with an invincible legend, uh, a new friend of mine, and when I told my family who I am interviewing, they went nuts over Norma Kamali, entrepreneur, fashion designer, and author of I Am Invincible. You know, Norma, it's interesting because you're so successful in everything that you do, and it took me a while to kind of shift the paradigm to say, I am happy, I am healthy, I am wealthy, I am worthy, I am invincible, all of these great mantras, and I'm only gonna spend minutes and moments interfering with my health, my happiness, my worthiness. What are some of the things that you do to shift that, to get rid of the interference, knowing that we are these things already, and when we're not feeling it, we're just interfering with what we're already are. You know, healthy lifestyle is really sort of the solution to a lot of problems that we create or try to prevent. So sleep, diet, exercise, you know, they're all free. They're all easy. You could start day one just running up and down a flight of stairs and you're in the best gym you can imagine your heart will burst out of your chest. And sleep, you know, in the pie of sleep, diet, exercise, sleep is everything. It's restorative. It just is, it is a miraculous part of our recovery from every day, stressful as they are. And many people have terrible time with sleep, maybe occasionally or all the time. And instead of approaching it with angst, approaching it ritualistically, where you create the bedroom as this very special place. There's a lot of information in the book, obviously, about how to do that, but sleep is incredibly important. But, you know, I'm 76. I interviewed a, a scientist uh, who's an expert on aging, and he said, the, the cells stop turning over at 120. So I said, oh yeah, okay. So let me have that as my long game. I don't know what my genetic determination will be, but in my mind, if I'm thinking to live the long game and to, and to go that far, I really have to be careful about what I eat, how I live, what I do each day. Healthy lifestyle is foundational, regardless of what your business is, regardless of what kind of an entrepreneur, employee, celebrity, athlete, or whatever you do in life. And Dave, we talk about it all the time that a healthy person wants a million things in the world, but an unhealthy person only wants one. And, and so you are a perfect example of that, and you gave us really good ideas and examples of 
diet and nutrition and sleep, but then you just said something that I think is also critical. It's the mental aspect of it, the mindset of a healthy person. What's your, what are your thoughts on that and how important mindset is in incorporating everything else that you referenced? The mind-body connection is just inseparable. You, yeah. Everything we think about in our minds, we can create and it can be destructive or it can be positive and informative and explosive and energetic. So I think, I think a great way to think about it is if you work out, and you know, we all work out, and I, I working out is a very important part of my life. There are things that I decided I wanted to learn how to do. Um, at 60, I decided I want to learn how to do a split. I told my mind, I want to learn how to do a split. So it took a little time. It took me a few weeks to really do it right. But when my mind told my body I wanted to do this and then I did it, I empowered myself to even go further for something else, maybe that had to do with my business or a goal that I was a little intimidated by or, uh, or just any challenge. So I think there is an incredible relationship between the mind and the body. Norma, I want to thank you for being inspiration to so many people, to, to young women and to young men out there. It's great uh, that you've reached so much level of success as an entrepreneur and as a fashion designer, working with some of the biggest names like Lizzo and Beyonce, and now you're an author. And you're this tremendous renaissance woman. And a lot of folks have asked me over the years, David, you do so much. You're, you're a lawyer, you're a sports agent, you're a mentor. How do you have time? How do you do all these things credibly? What advice do you have for those that want to accomplish a lot? And how do you navigate all of the world so successfully as you have? David, you're right. You, you have to first find the platform. You know, what is your platform? But I really believe that the more you do, the more you can do. Having one idea and putting, you know, putting everything you have into that one idea and not having a backup and not having other things in the works is very dangerous. You're a much better negotiator when you have four or five things that are happening, potential activity going on. There's a real power in knowing that you have a backup plan, you have other options because things change constantly. So the more you do, the more power you have in every way. And for me, negotiations are everything for you guys too, you know that. And if you have a good stand on negotiating and you can do it in your mind, not with fear, like if this doesn't work, I'll walk away from it, I have that. There's nothing better. So Norma, you're also a fashion designer, right? So I, I world famous best. World, so I, I look. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, what do you, What do you think about the giddy up here with the the stripes? The prison and, outfit. That, I, I'm with three attorneys. What do you think? You know what? I love that you're wearing sneakers and that you have your own style and you don't give a crap That's about right. what, what anybody thinks. else thinks. That's it. It's all about the sneakers. Yeah, right? it's all about the sneakers.
Thank you. Norma, I, by the way, I did get an opportunity uh, to read the book and you are invincible yeah. and you're inspiring even people like me to be invincible, to remind ourselves the great source of light, love, and lessons that come through us each day. And thank you for clearing some of that interference for me and other people. You're a blessing. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you, guys. It was great seeing you. I hope when I'm 60, I look as good as Norma. That's all I got to say. I think the most powerful thing she said is is the power of mantras and the positive thinking, both in mental health, physical health, and telling yourself every single day, I am invincible. When she was saying that, I was thinking of Maya Angelou and Still I Rise, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Every day and Still I Rise. She's saying, I'm invincible. You're going to have bad days. Things are going to knock you off, but I am invincible. This callous mind, like Goggin says. But it's not days. I want people out there to have the mindset that it's minutes and moments, right? Right. Too many people feel for, or say, you know, it's days, months, and years that I can be depressed, anxious, frustrated, worried. No, just spend minutes and moments. Stop, drop, and roll. That's a great point. Let's go to this week's Executive Spotlight. Each week, we'll be interviewing the top entrepreneurs and executives, sharing their personal playbook to success and the lessons they've learned along the way. Sven Platt is the founder of Digistore24, the former dentist turned entrepreneur, built Digistore24 from the ground up to over 1 billion in sales. Sven is founder of multiple software platforms and even an electronic music festival brand in Europe. He spends time between his house in Switzerland and the U.S. where his business has seen massive growth in the last few years. I am here with our executive spotlight, Sven Platt, founder and CEO of Digistore24. You know, Sven, I'm looking through and listening to all this stuff about you, and the most, I think, revealing thing as an entrepreneur is you're a dentist. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's very, fairly unusual. Um, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, even when I was a little kid. But then I figured, okay, 99% plus of all entrepreneurs fail. And because they fail, I was like, I was getting a little bit, let's say, defensive and conservative. I was like, okay, what what profession can I do uh, in which I won't fail but will still be self-employed? And then dentist was the, then the solution. And having a Korean mother, uh, they always love their son to go to university, get a degree, and ideally um, be a doctor. Yeah, of course. Like a Jewish mom, doctor, lawyer, yeah. or failure. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Dentist is a doctor. Why do you think that we're so afraid of failure? Is it because of the pressure that, you know, do this because you're guaranteed to have a stable life and we're just too afraid to disappoint our parents? Or is it internal within ourselves? Uh, one part of it is, of course, the expectation of the parents, usually, at least in the um, environment I grew up. Another part is, of course, society. And, you know, especially I, I was lucky enough uh, not having grown up in the social media uh, generation. But if you look at social media, there's so much pressure on you to be successful, to showcase it. So I think it's re- really hard, like for some people to cope with it. Do you think that you actually became a dentist as well because it allowed you to hedge your bet of being an entrepreneur? So, for example, I went to law school and I always felt like I was mitigating my risk because... You know, when I wanted to play football, people laughed at me, scoffed at me, made fun of me. Mm-hmm. Then they applauded me when I did well. Mm-hmm. But I was always under the pressure that people were going to make fun of me if I failed. Uh, they really weren't rooting for me until after the fact. But by going to law school, I felt, you know, if I do fail, I can always go back and say I'm a lawyer. If you failed, 
you know, in the e-commerce space with Digistore yeah. 24, you could always say, yeah, I'll go back to being a dentist. Yes. Yeah, yes, absolutely. A, dentist is a safety net which means uh, you can always go back to being a dentist. Like if you're a, in other professions, your industry might have, you know, you, you, you might not be able to catch up with your industry, but as a dentist, you always can go back. Also dentists, they don't fall like very deep. Like, you know, if you're a bad dentist, you just work as an employee in the clinic <laughs> and that's fine because then speed doesn't matter that much or, or marketing capabilities. So. And a dentist can work part-time, that's another thing, like it's, it's a very lifestyle-friendly uh, profession as well. So you can always start a side hustle and I could always like try to start another business. The weird thing is there are a lot of professions that are conducive to, you know, transitioning into marketing or e-commerce. There's a large bridge a gap between Digistore 24 and dentistry. Yes. How did you bridge that gap? I'm, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. So I, when I, even though I was studying, studying dentistry, I always studied entrepreneurship, business, like as a hobby. I was so interested, I was so fascinated about it. And uh, I, was, I started to play around with technologies like Google AdWords that came out, that was a new thing. So I played around with it. So I, I kind of was like automatically in that entrepreneurial internet space. Um, and back then, 10 years plus ago, that was like, that was a lot more like new and, and, and no one knew, really knew about it. And I was fascinated by that idea of you're able to make a sale and deliver the product and that's all automated. It's all on the internet and goes like this, this, and you can, while you're sleeping. I was so fascinated by that. But the other interesting thing, so when I got out of law school, I sold legal research online in 1992. So yeah. we're a few years apart, that was pre-chasm internet, the same way you started doing your due diligence, being more interested than interesting in e-commerce. Yeah. But you could see there's a tangential relationship that I was a lawyer yeah. selling legal research online. Comparatively, you know, I could see you being interested in that and then you know, having a huge dentist marketing firm because you know, doctors and dentists and lawyers yeah. are terrible business people because yeah. they're well-trained, but during their training, nobody teaches them how to no. do business. You were already doing entrepreneurial studies. You were on your own looking to see how do we run businesses. Was there any time that you thought you should apply what you were doing and learning to dentistry instead of going completely outside the box and doing Digistore 24? Let's say that the thing that struck me most about dentistry was that I wasn't really enjoying it. So I, I never really thought about like pursuing that career. So I wasn't really enjoying it. My grandparents actually, they resented me. They were like, oh, you're kind of a fraud. You got all this money. Like they, they uh, supported me while I was a student. And they were, they were like, you're a fraud and you, you just tricked us. You just hung out like at university and we don't really know if you really graduated. So, and my, my grandfather actually died, um, like not really, Knowing. talking to me and more. And so speaking of that transition, you know, 2020 was a year of reflection. 2021 is a year of decisions. You did a lot of reflecting. Yeah. You were in a position where you weren't passionate about what you do. You didn't want to learn to love what you were doing, which some people are capable of, but you went ahead and transitioned. What advice would you have for people that are, you know, doctors, lawyers, afraid of being failures, but yet they have a passion for something else. What advice would you give them to transition over and do what you do? Because you're extremely successful at Digistore 24. Thank you. Yeah, what I did was like really a hard cut. So I borrowed money 
from from a friend to start in this new business, this new venture, and I really went all in and full time and with I. I pretty much like emotionally I burned all the bridges. I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm in this full time. I'm working my ass off. And of course I know like everyone, everyone usually, usually says, oh yeah, um, just follow your passion. But this is not, in my opinion, not the way it really works. It's more about commitment than passion in the beginning. And then later on you can say, oh yeah, it's nice. I do, I do things I'm passionate about because being an entrepreneur, especially if you start as a one-man show, you have to do a lot of things you're not passionate about. Even if you <laughs> like your, your business topic, there's a lot of other topics that you might not like. Sales, legal stuff, uh, um, bookkeeping, etc., etc. Now you're in the e-commerce space. You're a guru. Is there anything that you learned from dental school or being a dentist that you apply to what you teach now in your own business at Digistore24? The, the one thing I learned at uh, dental school is being resourceful. So at dental school, at least in Germany where I studied, it works like this. You have to have a certain revenue. You have to, you have to produce a certain revenue. Each uh, dental services, that's all revenue and you have to reach a certain revenue. And I had to go like, I, and I didn't have p enough patience uh, from the clinic, so I had to go out and s approach people on the street to get patients to be able to make revenue. So I learned that do whatever it takes mentality, and this is what will carry you through. Thank you so much for joining me, Sven, founder and CEO of Digistore24. Thank Great you, David. Thank you. We'll see you pleasure. soon. Now, a quick word from our JA Impact honoree partner, presented by Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey. Junior Achievement Worldwide prepares young people for employment and entrepreneurship, delivering hands-on experiential learning in work readiness, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. The recipient of the JA Impact Honoree is selected based on their mission-driven values and had the opportunity to align with Junior Achievement Worldwide through their 100 million-plus alumni network driving awareness to their brand through Junior Achievement's millions of entrepreneurs looking to make an impact on the world. I'm Brittany Yang, co-founder of Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey. As a female entrepreneur working hard to pave the way in a male-dominated industry while showing my daughters anything is possible with hard work and determination, this week's Junior Achievement honoree resonates deep with me. Monique Billings is someone who is setting an example for all young women to look up to and learn from. Congrats on being this week's JA honoree, Monique. Thanks for watching this week's episode of Office Hours. And a special thank you to our featured co-hosts and guests for joining today's episode. See you next week on Office Hours.